This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. I hope you uh, brought your Bibles or at least a device that has a Bible on it. And if you would just go ahead and open, uh, turn to Philippians chapter 4. As I visit with many of you and as I try to sort through my own emotions, um, it seems that a lot of us are dealing with higher than normal levels of stress and anxiety. Is, is that an amen statement there? And I think there are several contributing factors. One, it doesn't look like the pandemic is going away anytime soon. Uh, I know the Russians claim that they now have a vaccine, but the small sample size of testing has not convinced other world um, health professionals that they have the answer. But anyway, the, the Rona from the Corona, as it's come to be called, doesn't appear to be leaving us anytime soon. And, and I know the apprehension among teachers, administrators, and parents is probably even a little bit higher than the, the rest of us as school will be starting this week. Another contributing factor to the added stress in our lives is the political climate of our country. To be honest, does anybody... Anybody enjoy watching the evening news right now? And then you have racial tensions that almost causes you to wonder, is America headed towards another civil war? You have the tearing down of monuments, the renaming of ball teams with less offensive mascots, the kneeling during the national anthem, the general feeling of mistrust towards all human beings. And so, whether for good or bad, the new America we live in today is drastically different than the America of yesterday. These and many other issues have taken its toll on us, and I think that most of us, without maybe realizing it, are carrying around way more stress than is healthy. And so in light of all of this, this past Wednesday, again, as it happens from time to time, I felt God awaken me earlier than, than usual, and, and, and I've told you that I've asked God to awaken me early when He feels I need extra time with Him. And Wednesday was one of those, those mornings, and, and after coming to the office and praying and reading God's Word, I, I felt Him directing me to this passage of Scripture that if you were raised in church you know this passage well. And this is probably not one of those topics that just reaches out and grabs your attention, but it is one of those topics that I think will reach out and touch everyone listening today. Again, in the book of Philippians, we, we call it a book, but Philippians wasn't really a book. Rather, it was a letter to a local church, a letter that was written by a man named Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul. Now, if I were the one giving you the advice that Paul will be giving, you would, with some cynicism, say, Joe, why should we listen to you? Uh, what have you done? What have you experienced that gives you credibility in this area? And, and I would have to say, well, truth is nothing. But thankfully, the advice you will be, re be receiving today isn't coming from me. I, I'm not the one who wrote these verses. The Apostle Paul did. And he is uniquely qualified to teach on this topic because his life experiences give him what I call incredible credibility. Now, before we get to our, our scripture, let me take five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes, eight minutes, or whatever, and, 
and give a bit of history that will hopefully make this lesson more meaningful. After Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension up to God the Father in heaven, Paul left Jerusalem, which was the headquarters for the brand new church that Jesus Christ had established. And Paul traveled to what we now call the continent of Europe, and he began planting churches. And his approach was very simple. He, he didn't have the marketing tools that, that we have today, so, so his strategy was very straightforward. He pretty much just said, hi, my name is Paul. You've never heard of me, but I'm a Jew from Jerusalem, and I'm peddling a new religion that involves a man named Jesus whom I fought against tooth and toenail until one day I had an encounter with him on the road to Damascus where I literally saw the light. This Jesus lived and died, but what makes him unique is that after three days, Jesus rose from the dead, which makes him the real Messiah and Savior not just of the Jewish people. At that time, it seemed like every part of the world had their own God. But Paul was telling them that this Jesus was the real deal, the Savior of the entire world. And so Paul encouraged them to abandon everything they'd ever believed about their idols and, and false gods and put their trust in Jesus. And here's the amazing thing the people did. The, the Spirit quickened their hearts and minds and they began to follow Jesus. Well, as Paul went around starting new churches, one of the first churches he started was in a town called Philippi, which would have been a town across the Mediterranean Sea from Israel and then on across the Aegean Sea. Now, after each church got established, as Paul typically did, he left the church in the hands of trained local leaders and headed for another town or another community or another city where he could preach Jesus and see another church started. After some time of doing this, Paul eventually traveled back to Jerusalem. Upon arriving in Jerusalem, he found the Jewish leaders were mad as wet hens. And I guess I don't know exactly where that idiom came from, mad as wet hens. Any of you ever hear that before, mad as wet hens? Yeah, a lot of you old-timers have. Uh, but the Jewish leaders were furious at him because... Um, and by the way, I don't know on this idiom, I, I was thinking about this. I, I don't know where that uh, idiom came from. And uh, I, uh, when, when, we, we, when we lived in Arkansas as a teenager, we used to have chickens on, on our rice and soybean farm. And uh, I, I, I never as a teenager, and I can't believe I didn't think of it, but I, I never took the opportunity to see if, see if spraying water on our hens made them mad. Anybody ever do that? Uh, just a little bit of personal testimony, but I'm assuming that's where the idiom came from. But, but anyway, Paul found that the Jewish leaders were mad as wet hens, and they were furious because they felt that he was theologically corrupting and watering down Judaism. And specifically what got them stirred up was that he was telling them, I mean, non-Jewish people like us, like you, like me, hey, you can get in on this religion. You can follow Jesus, you don't, and you don't have to keep the same dietary restrictions that our laws say we need to keep, and, and you don't have to follow the rules of men needing to be circumcised, to which all of the non-Jewish men said a big amen. And Paul had been teaching at, at these new church plants that, that Jesus was more concerned about a heart relationship than a rule relationship. Well, the Jewish leaders who 
had a horrible problem with racism and elitism and arrogance. They genuinely felt that non-Jews could not be saved unless they became Jewish in their rule keeping and, and Jewish in their tradition and so, traditions. And so they felt that, that Paul was in a sense hijacking Judaism into a compromised version that had no standards. And we've all heard, well, you know, the standards are not what they used to be, and that's what they felt. Well, one day Paul decided to go to the temple there in Jerusalem. And some of these Jewish leaders whom he had greatly offended because of his inclusiveness of people like us, of non-Jews, they saw him in the temple, and they had had all they could take, and so they called for action. And what developed was a mob spirit that quickly became violent. You know, there's something about a mob that causes otherwise fairly calm people to become unglued. If you've watched any of the recent marches and protests, you've seen a few cases of that. Someone has said something, someone reacted, and before you know it, that peaceful march has turned into a violent mob. And this mob attacked the Apostle Paul in church, in the temple. They dragged him out of the temple. They started beating, could I just say it like we say it in Cedar County? They started beating the tar out of him. And they felt justified in doing so because Paul, in their minds, had compromised the purity and the foundational values of their religion. So they were beating him. That is until somebody called the police, who happened to be the Roman guard. The Roman guard showed up and pulled these religious mobsters off of Paul and, and quote-unquote arrested him, even though it was basically just to protect him from the mob. Well, in all of the commotion, Paul happens to mention to one of the soldiers, by the way, I'm not only Jewish, but I'm also a Roman citizen. And that statement right there was a game-changer. Because all of a sudden, it now involved a different set of rules and, and a different sets of, uh, set of laws. And so they felt that this decision was beyond their pay grade and decided to put Paul on a ship and send him off to Rome for trial. And you can just kind of see uh, the map there, where it started there, uh, there at the bottom right, uh, where it says Caesarea, just right to the right of that, and a little bit north would have been Jerusalem. And then you take Rome is way over there in the left-hand, upper left-hand hand corner. Um, well, into the journey, a serious storm came up and blew them out into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and, and for two weeks they had no control over the boat. That storm eventually washed them ashore, and they were shipwrecked on the island of Malta, and you can see that there on the left-hand side. They, they were washed over to the island of Malta, had to stay there three months until another ship came to pick them up. Finally, Paul arrived in Rome, and he's put under house arrest. And, and what is interesting is that his case is so far down on the docket of cases to be tried that it took over two years for his trial to take place. Kind of reminds you of our country today, doesn't it? So much for our right to a speedy trial. Now, all of that background to say that while Paul is imprisoned, he begins writing letters to these churches that he, that he has planted throughout Europe. And the letter to the Philippian church happens to be one of the four letters that we've come to know as the prison epistles. You have Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, which were all written while he was in prison. And the reason that I'm taking valuable time to give you this history is because knowing what Paul had been through makes this passage that we will study even more extraordinary 
because there are very few people that have suffered and gone through more pain and more persecution and hardship than the Apostle Paul. In fact, if you and I were scheduled to speak in the same service with Paul, one of the things we would not want to do is tell how hard our life is. Because what most of us would have to complain about would seem pretty silly. And, and I know that some of you are going through really, really tough times. And, and I'm not here to minimize your hard times. But for the majority of us, our hard times would consist of situations like this. Well, this pandemic is the pits because the movie theater has been closed. Or I went fishing this past week and I didn't get a bite. Or I went to the new taco place in town and had to wait 20 minutes to get my food. You know, after saying that kind of stuff, I'm sure Paul would have been polite and not laughed in your face, but listen to what Paul had gone through. Five times I received from the Jews the lashes, 40 lashes minus one. I got a lot of spankings as a kid, but most of the time my parents kept it, kept it between three and five swats. They, I don't remember them ever swatting me 40 times or actually 39 he goes on and says, three times I was beaten with rods. Now, my mom, I don't know why she did this, but we always wanted dad to spank us because mom used a hairbrush um, on occasion. But Paul says, three times I was beaten with, with rods. I've never been beaten with rods. He says, once I was stoned, and I don't think he meant recreationally. Um, it says, three times I was shipwrecked. And I've never been shipwrecked. The closest thing, uh, closest I've ever been to witnessing a shipwreck was when I was fishing for rainbow trout at a, at a lake in Bolivia at 14,000 feet above sea level. So the guys that, you, that, that have climbed a 14er, just imagine that that's where we fished, at the top of a 14er. And we had this little inflatable raft. I've got to tell you the story. A major storm was coming in, so my brother and I were fishing there. We pulled up, on, up, up to the bank, and I jumped out of the boat and, and turned around to pull the, the raft up there. So so he could get out. Well, I didn't realize that when I, when I jerked on that little light inflatable raft that my brother-in-law was in the process of standing up in the back of the boat. And, and, and you know exactly what happened. When I jerked, he lost his balance. He actually did a backflip into the frigid waters of, of a lake that we call Bull Lake. And, and I learned that that day my brother-in-law could not walk on the water. And um, he couldn't swim either. And I was worried about him drowning, but, but I was probably more worried about him killing me if he came out of this alive, and you know, we both survived, but, but that was the closest thing. I've, I've never witnessed a shipwreck, and he goes on and said, I, I spent a night and a day in the open sea, and the only nights I've spent at sea were on a big cruise ship during our Alaskan cruise where we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary in comfort. Paul has still more to tell in verse 26. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled, often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. And, and what did you say your problem was? You say, well, we went through this horrible time in our country when we had to wear masks into Walmart. Bless your heart. Or we went through this horrible time when we couldn't buy any toilet paper in the stores. 
we went through this horrible time when we had to wait 15 minutes at Taco Bell. I, I don't know what the Apostle Paul would have said, but I think he would have said something, his version of whoop-de-doo. Paul knew what it was to suffer. He's made it to Rome. He's having to wait two years for his case to be tried. And the whole time, listen, the whole time it's weighing on his mind that more than likely, even though he did nothing wrong, remember he was just preaching Jesus, it's weighing on his mind that he's going to be falsely, it's almost guaranteed he's going to be falsely convicted and end up receiving the death penalty. That'll worry you down. And he's right. After two years, maybe a little bit longer than that, tradition has it that one day some soldiers come to where he's staying under house arrest. They knock on his door and say, Paul, we're going to take a walk. We're going to get you some exercise. And as was typical of the way the Romans treated high-profile prisoners, they walked Paul outside of town, three or four miles. They took a sword and brought it down on Paul's neck, beheaded him thus ending the earthly life of the great Apostle Paul. But before that happened, Paul was able to write 13 total books in the New Testament with the letter to the church at Philippi being one. And finally, we get to the message that Paul, with his incredible credibility, is going to teach us about stress and difficult times and more specifically how to pray in those times of uncertainty. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Remember what he's been through? What he's about to go through? He's going to lose his head. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, let's take some time to make sure that we savor every bite from this amazing scripture. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, if I were to take out the words in the Lord and just say rejoice and fill in the blank with other things, like maybe rejoice in your new job, we would get that. Or rejoice in your new car, we would get that. Or rejoice that the stock market market is turned around for right now. Or rejoice that Whatever, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl and, and they locked up Patrick Mahomes on a long-term contract as well as Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey and you Chiefs fans would get that and say, amen. Or if I would say rejoice that the kids are finally going back to school after six long months at home, some of you parents would get blessed and rejoice and say, glory, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I think we know what it means to rejoice in something. You know, to rejoice is, is to focus on good news to the point that the emotion associated with that good news begins to wash all over us. But Paul wasn't telling us to rejoice over circumstances or events. He was trying to get us to focus on God's goodness and mercy to the point that our emotions would catch up with that reality. You know, we get emotionally involved in rejoicing over temporal blessings. And Paul is wanting our emotions to also rejoice in the Lord. And the reason this is so important for Americans is because we seldom rejoice over spiritual blessings. Most of the time, we just rejoice over temporal blessings. We rejoice over shiny new cars or shiny phones or shiny boats or shiny guns. 
We don't know how it is to rejoice over spiritual blessings. Now, here's what we do to sound spiritual. We say, well, God was so good to us, he blessed us with a good deal on, on a car. And that sounds good. But what was our focus? The car. Temporal blessings. Or God blessed us and, and we got that raise. But we were still focused on what? The money. And it's good to thank God for those blessings. He loves to give his children good gifts. But how long has it been since you've rejoiced, not in the stuff God has blessed you with, but just rejoiced in the Lord? You know, there are so many verses we could read along this line, but these are powerful. Psalm 145, 5, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty. Wow. Wow. And on your wondrous works, men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger. Aren't you glad about that? He doesn't have a hair-trigger temper like some of us do. He's great in mercy. The Lord is good to all. And His tender mercies are all over His works. And so Paul says to rejoice in what? In the Lord. Not because the Lord helped you get something. In the Lord. Well, Paul continues with something that you really have to think about to connect it with the previous verse. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Can I give you Trussell's translation for that verse? Don't let tough times cause you to become grouchy and treat people harshly. It says, let your gentleness be evident. During tough times, such as what we're going through today, don't let your fuse become so short that you begin to treat people in a way that's less than gentle. You know, we all know what it's like to get under stress because of hard times, because of anxiety, and, and we can be hard <laughs> to be around. Yet we typically develop a short fuse and a quick temper and get cranky. Paul, who again went, more, went through more than any of us will ever go through, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Pandemics, anxiety, fear, uncertainty should never be used as excuses to lash out and treat people in a less than gentle way. So that starts at home. Sometimes we are the ugliest to those that we love the most. Gentleness. At work, sometimes we get aggravated at those that aren't carrying their share of the load. Be gentle. Your boss who sometimes you think has unfair expectations, be gentle. Paul keeps it coming. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, let me just point out, I think Paul knew that he couldn't throw this statement out there as a standalone statement because this statement without the next two verses is not helpful. All this verse says basically is, don't worry. Does it ever help you when you're struggling and worried about something and someone says, hey, don't worry. Does that help you? You know, this past week I was struggling with someone and I was sharing, you know, 
you know, with, with something that I was really dealing with, and they basically said what the apostle said, hey, Joe, don't worry, it will be okay, and I just wanted to respond back sarcastically, and I didn't, I was gentle. I, I said, oh, don't worry about it? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Thank you so much for that valuable advice. Uh, I'll, I'll take your advice. I'll just not worry about it. You know, it doesn't work that way. And so when Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, don't worry about anything, he knows he can't leave it as a standalone statement, and so he connects it to the next two verses and listen to the rest of what he is saying. So he says, don't be anxious about anything, don't worry, but in everything by prayer, and, and some of you would say, well, you know, if you're telling me that the answer to my anxiety is prayer, I've been doing that. I've prayed more over the last several months than I have in my entire life, and, but it hasn't helped. Let's keep reading. In every situation, by prayer and petition, you say, well, isn't that the same thing? Well, kind of. Kind of. But, but here's the biggie. You know what? Thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, prayer, petition, thanksgiving, and then the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow through prayer with thanksgiving. Paul then uses a word, and I was sharing this with Faith last night, that this is something that I learned this past week. Um, Paul uses a word that is generally not associated with prayer. He says, through prayer, petition, thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, now the word present, I studied this this past week, in the original Greek text, this word present literally means to reveal. So, so it's not a word that is typically used with prayer. So it, it's used in the context of solving a mystery. So you, you know, revealing what's hidden, revealing the mystery. So here's what I think Paul was saying. I think Paul was saying, take time to understand the hidden things that are in the deepest part of your heart. Paul is saying go deeper than this, just the surface emotions, then present or reveal those mysterious, deep, heartfelt needs to God. Let me dig just a little bit deeper here. Times of uncertainty, like this pandemic, like the erosion of values in our country, like, like an incurable disease, they cause our deepest insecurities and deepest fears to surface. You know, it's been evident over the past few months, the, the Rona has caused people who maybe have already struggled with fears anyway, but up to this point they've maybe done a decent job of hiding them, but the pandemic has caused those fears and that anxiety to come to the surface. But, but here's what I want to say. As, as a whole, however, when those fears surface, when our anxiety reaches a dangerous level, even when our panic attacks become more frequent, here's what happens. Our prayers don't seem to change. We still typically pray at a shallow level. We, we, we pray, God, help me to find my car keys. And some of us do that a lot. Help it not to rain as we go camping. Help me to lose weight. Some of us do that a lot. Help me to find a good deal on another car because mine's about to bite the dust. And Paul's not saying that it's wrong to pray those prayers. God is interested in every detail of our lives. But those types of prayers typically do not help you with your anxiety. Paul is saying to identify your deepest heart needs, your most painful heart aches, and, and your most paralyzing fears, and, and present, that word present, 
reveal them to God. Which means that our prayer should go beyond the typical shallowness of God, help me do this and help me find this and protect. And, you know, as we always say, this three prayer, prong prayer, lead, guide, direct. You know, even though God knows our deepest needs, He still wants us to bring those insecurities and those heartaches and those fears to Him so He can meet us at our point of need. And so, what comes next after? praying and revealing to God our deepest needs. We're getting to the meat of the lesson. Unless you're a vegetarian, then I don't know what we're coming to. But, but verse 7 says, And the peace of God. So remember, prayer, petition, thanksgiving, present, reveal the hidden. And the peace of God, and this is not because of circumstances, you know, peace because of circumstances said, well, we had a peaceful evening. The kids behaved themselves. My husband was happy. My wife was in a good mood. We had a peaceful evening, and that's always good. But what if the kids had been fighting? What if your husband was not nice? What if your wife was cranky? Which, by the way, those above scenarios are more than like, likely to happen from time to time. What would that have done for your peace? Paul is talking about the peace of God, which is not influenced by circumstances. He said, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. In other words, this means that nobody can really understand how you can have peace in this situation. You know, like the Apostle Paul, an innocent man sent to Rome, awaiting two years for his trial, knowing that he's going to be beheaded anyway, yet still being able to have peace and write about this peace. Peace transcends all understanding. And I love this word, you know, where it says we'll guard. And, and, and guard means to stand watch over. We'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's the bottom line. I think one of the reasons, and not the only one, but one of the reasons that we are so anxious, full of fear, full of panic attacks, is because we've not invited and allowed our Heavenly Father to stand guard over our heart and our mind. Now, we're always quick to ask Him to stand guard over our jobs, which we should. We're always quick to ask Him to stand guard over our family, which we should. Stand guard over our possessions, which we should. Stand guard over our health. God, keep us healthy, which we should. But when it comes to our fears and our insecurities and our anxieties, because we're embarrassed, because, you know, society has says you're not strong, which has nothing to do with this. What if we invited God to stand guard over our fears? over our insecurities, over our panic attacks. What if we could have peace despite the uncertainty caused by a virus that originated in Wuhan City, China, that's bringing havoc to the world? Knowing, knowing this, there's a possibility that one of your family members will test positive for the coronavirus in one of my family members. What if we could have peace in the midst of dealing with family issues that are so complex and dysfunctional? What, what if we could have peace despite a wayward child? 
What if we could have peace despite a husband that isn't serving the Lord? What, what if we could have peace? And some of you need to listen to this. What if we could have peace as we slog through the political ugliness of the next few months thinking, hey, I'm not sure that either candidate is worthy of my vote. What if we could have peace as our country slowly but surely is backing away from Judeo-Christian principles? And Paul gives us the way that we can have peace in all those scenarios. Now, as you begin to put Paul's advice into practice, very possibly people will look at you and say, wow, you were really stressed and you were really fearful. You were really having panic attacks, but now you seem to be so much better. What happened? Did things change? And you would answer, well, not really. My circumstances haven't changed at all. I still got cancer. I still struggle with depression or my family's still a mess. My circumstances haven't changed, but what has changed is me. You know, I love what C.S. Lewis says about prayer. He says, I learned that prayer isn't about changing God. Prayer is about changing me. So when life is uncertain, remember that God is not. Did you hear that? When life is uncertain, remember that God is not. And he's calling us to a new level of intimacy where we will rejoice in the Lord. We'll pray and present our needs to God on a deep level And we will discover that amazing peace that surpasses and defies logic and human comprehension. So as we go from here, let me just read this scripture one more time. And I want you just maybe to close your eyes. Just listen with a heart that's tuned into the Spirit of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God, again, we know that this is not something that just reaches out and grabs it, but I think we all need it because we're all... Lord, it seems like we have so many health issues from stress, hypertension, and blood pressure's up, and cholesterol is up, insomnia is up, (laughs) panic attacks are up, Lord, over the last few months, as I said, all of these things cause our fears to surface. And Lord, I pray for those especially that are fearful right now. I pray for those especially that are dealing with insecurity. God, don't let them feel like that they're weak. Don't let them feel like that they're a problem child. God, don't let them be embarrassed. Lord, take that away. I think we as a society, we've kind of put them in a category. Well, these are the fearful people. These are the kind of the weak, emotional people. And uh, they have emotional issues, and we kind of put them over here to one side. And God, I pray that you would help them not to feel that uh, they're weak. But Father, you're clear that we are to have the peace of God. And I pray that there would be that peace that would just come over us. Peace that would be able to prevail in times of disappointment, as Monty and Heidi have been through that. 
God, would you give them peace? Lord, I pray that there would be peace for those that have cancer and curable diseases. And we have several in our church that are like that. Lord, we have, uh, we have people that have literal panic attacks and, and they, they just sometimes feel like uh, th- th- they're just going to go crazy. And God, I pray that you would just bring that calmness to them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do what the Apostle Paul learned. And God, that there would just be that prayer and petition, thanksgiving, and God, that we would be able to present our requests, those hidden feelings, those inner concerns to you, and God, that, that that peace that surpasses all logic, all understanding, that it would guard our hearts, Lord, that it would stand guard. I pray, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to stand guard over our fears, our anxieties, over our insecurities. God, would you stand guard over our disappointments, Lord, that uh, this week we would begin to understand the peace of God. Guard our hearts, our minds. So, Lord, we don't know the future of our country. We know that every country that has risen has fallen. And so we don't know what's going to happen. We do know that probably things are going to get worse before they get better. But, God, I pray that there would still be the peace of God that transcends, that surpasses all understanding. Guard our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.